Well, if you have your Bibles tonight or your iPad or iPhone or the Satan Samsung, um, you, you can, <laughs> we're going to be in, sec, amen, 2 Samuel chapter 15, 2 Samuel chapter 15. If you're taking notes tonight, the title of tonight's message is Don't Settle. Uh-oh. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, Don't Settle. <laughs> don't settle, don't settle, don't settle. We come, we're at a place in the story of the reign of David where King David's son Absalom has been building up a lot of bitterness and anger at this point for almost 10 years. Because if you remember, um, David had two sons, Absalom and Amnon. Uh, Absalom's sister's named Tamar. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but Amnon uh, raped his sister. Uh, King David didn't do anything. Absalom was getting mad because he wanted justice, so he set up uh, a big feast and murdered his brother, and then he went away in exile for years, and we saw last week that David wanted to be reunited with his son, but he was stubborn, and we talked about reconciliation, and we get to a point tonight where Absalom is back in the kingdom, but there's been no repentance. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong because in his mind, he's avenged his sister, and his dad is not bringing justice. So there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of bitterness, and I know that none of you have ever been there, been angry at people, been bitter toward people. I know that none of you have been there ever in your life, ever, 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 but this is where he's at, and Absalom, Absalom is in the courts, and it says last week that his father finally let him come to him, and he kissed Absalom on the head, and that was a, a, a signal of everything's restored. He was back in the courts. He, back, he had favor with his, with his father. He, he was back to where he was supposed to be. He was restored in a sense, and now we're at a point in the story in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel where Absalom, with all this bitterness and all this anger, starts to rebel. So I'm going to read starting in verse 1, and we're going to get right into it. After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. And we're going to stop right there. Talk about some context. <laughs> Absalom bought a chariot and horses. He hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. Look at what Absalom is doing. Absalom knew what the people wanted. The people had seen King David bring them from nothing to everything, united a kingdom. The 12 tribes of Israel were finally together. But at this point in time, David's an old man. He's not that young, good-looking dude that they thought he was. He wasn't maybe as strong as they remembered him to be. And they've seen him fall with Bathsheba. So now they're kind of questioning some things. I don't know if you've ever been there. You have leaders or you have mentors that maybe they make a mistake and your judgment's taken away from them. Well, this is where the people are with King David. And Absalom knows this. So whether the people are looking looking for it or not, there is a sense of wanting of that old king back, that young, brave, courageous, perfect king. Well, Absalom has got some negative issues as well because the whole kingdom knows that he is the crown prince after he murdered his brother, so he's got some baggage. He's got some things in his past that don't look great, so he is trying to build this image and, and to start this rebellion to show the people what they want a pure king, a powerful king, a beautiful king. We read last week that Absalom had the beauty. It said he was the most like, beautiful, dashing dude ever from head to toe, and he had hair that was beautiful, and when they cut it, it was five pounds of hair. That's a lot of flipping hair. Like I wish I had that much hair at any point in my life. 
life. Like I started going bald at ten. Like I, I went, but but he 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 was beautiful and and people loved him and and and, and but he was creating this image because he didn't need just need to be beautiful. He needed to be powerful. So he gets chariots and horses and he gets a a fifty people bodyguard. He's building this entourage. So he has this image of not only beauty, not only youth, but of power. And if you remember, last week I talked to you about this woman that Joab sent talking to David to present this case of, hey, you need to go after Absalom just like you would do for the least of these in your kingdom. And what I talked about in that story was something that we need to know here, that back in those times there was a way you approached the king. The king was the chief judge. He was top dog. And if you got a ruling in the court system that you didn't agree with, you had the right to go to the king. And the king could overrule what was done in the courts. The king could make a ruling for you with whatever he wanted to do to settle the dispute. The Bible calls Satan in Revelation 12.10 that he is the accuser of the brethren. So our God is a perfect king. Amen? Amen? And what God does is he says in the courts of the world, anything you've got, you can come to me and I'll overrule it. Because what happens is the accuser of the brethren starts to accuse you. Absalom's going through this. He, he's going through this, well, I'm not strong enough, so I've got to build myself up. I've got to make sure I am what the people want. And what we go through in life is we start to have these accusations like you're not good enough to serve God. You're too old to be relevant. You're too young to do anything. You've messed up too much. You're too far gone. We start having all these accusations thrown at us, whether it be by people or in our own mind, because he is the accuser of the brethren. And God says, hey, I'm the chief justice. I'm the chief judge. I am the king. You take that accusation. You bring it to me. And when they say you're not good enough, I say you're clothed in garments of salvation. When they say you've messed up too much, I'm going to put a robe of righteousness on you. They say you can't. They say you won't. But I am changing the slate. I'm changing the name that's on you. I can overrule whatever is said in your mind. But Absalom knew if I can get these people on my side, if I'm going to get them, I've got to be that justice. Because they're going to come to the king and they're going to have all this wrong stuff and the way he's going to win their hearts is he's going to tell them exactly what they need and exactly what they want. And I believe we have entered into a day where we look to anyone, anything for justice and we have gone away from entering into the courts of the presence of our king. Because what happens is we, we, we want to feel better about a situation. But something great about the justice of God is that he doesn't excuse what you did, but he overwrites the penalty from what you did. But you're still responsible for what you do. <laughs> God says, I love you. I'm kind to you. But in my kindness, I'm going to show you where you were wrong so that I can form your mind into a new path where you won't do it again. 
instead of getting into this old like like wheel of asking forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over our father says i'm going to overrule this but let me show you what your thinking needs to become but what we do is we don't like the 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 the, 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 the correction we don't like the conviction so we start going to everything else for our chief justice we go to the world and say, what's popular? That must be right. We go to our friends and say, what do you think? And we never consult God. And what, we've, and what David and all the kids have done at this point is just this. The fall of David started with talking to his guy saying, who that woman on the roof? Instead of looking to God and saying, hey, do you want me to, to, to even look at this woman? He started talking to a different chief. And what we've done is we've, we've had all these chiefs. And we're trying to get justice in doing the wrong thing. And God's like, just come to me and I'll show you what you need. Proverbs 28, 5 says this. Evil people don't understand justice. But those who follow the Lord understand completely. And the thing is, the justice of the Lord doesn't look like the justice of the world. And they don't get it because they're evil. Well, what's evil? Anything apart from God. They may not have evil intent because it's a good thing to say, hey, they get what they deserve. But my God, the chief justice says, no, 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 I'm going to give you what you don't deserve because you're my son, you're my daughter, and I want you back with me. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, but to get what you don't deserve, we've got to dive into what you're doing. And the world says, let's get even, eye for an eye. When the Bible says, turn the cheek. The world's got all these things of how we're going to handle stuff. And God's like, no, no, no. I, I, I've, I've got a whole new system. And the reason we're not getting it is because the only way to understand the justice of the Lord that doesn't match up with your opinion is you have to follow him. It says those who followed the Lord understand completely. If there is something in your spirit that is not settled about bless your enemy, it is the fruit of the fact that you have not followed him. Justice says, put a tithe into the ground to break a curse. But those who don't follow God say, I need that money for my bills. It's a fruit of showing that you're not truly following no matter how much you love him. There's a lot of people that love God and never follow God because they love what he offered. They love the miracles. They love the peace, but they don't want to follow. There's the justice of turning a cheek when someone hits, strikes your left and you're supposed to turn to the right, but you don't understand how that's justice because they need to get what's due to them. Why don't you understand that? It is a degree of not following. Not saying that you don't completely follow everything, but for me, I want to get closer, I want to grow deeper, I want to follow more. And the Bible tells me that if I don't understand his justice, it means I'm not following. Then if there's a principle that I'm struggling with, I have to understand that justice is telling me if you don't get this principle, it is a degree of separation that you have set before yourself. Don't settle for justice of the world. Don't settle for what everyone else says is right. Don't settle for what the world says is, is, is acceptable. The only thing we should settle for is the justice of the Lord Almighty, yet we have stopped entering into his courts for a ruling. 
Absalom's become prideful. He's full of himself. And he's not seeking God. And, he's under, and his understanding of justice is out of complete ignorance because what he thinks is justice, the Bible actually calls darkness and demonic. What's his justice? My dad did not punish my brother for raping my sister. So Israel needs a new leader. He never talks to God about it. Because justice always says if someone falls, remove them. But we're going to find out tonight when there's fall, whether it be in your family or in your church or in your workplace, it's, it's not to shove them down. It's to come together and restore the mess out of them. But why don't we get that automatically? Because we're not following. If we followed, it'd be automatic. Doesn't make sense? <laughs> the people are so overcome with what they want, they've completely forgotten about what King David's done. Unified them, defeated giants with slingshots and stones, defeated every army he's ever come across. And now, because he looks a little different in the eyes of the world, and he's made one fall, and he's maybe not handling his kids great because he's got so much mercy, they're starting to lose faith. So they're looking for another king. So let's look at what Absalom does to play on this in verse 2. Well, he got up early every morning, and, when he, out to the, and when he went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell them their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've got a really strong case here. You know, it's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I, I, I wish I were the judge. And then everyone could just bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. I, I, I can honestly say that there was a time when I was that guy. I, I served in churches, and I got so frustrated with the pastor when people started talking bad about the pastor I didn't say, hey, we don't need that talk. I started saying, well, you know, if I was the pastor. And what, hap what has happened in churches is that there's no unity in the body. So when unwholesome talk comes about, there's no immune system to shove it out. And we allow it because we want to be graceful. <laughs> and we want to extend mercy. But the true mercy of God says... Let me correct you and then pull you out of, out of the wrong. Not let me excuse what you're doing. <laughs> See, mercy and kindness is not just love, 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 love. Define love. Pulling you out of darkness into light. You're ignorant in saying this, so let us correct and pull out and love each other in the correction. That's what, but Absalom's not doing that. He's not saying, you know, let, 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 me, let me go get my dad. Let me go see what, he's, 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 he's telling them what they want to hear. Uh, I'll give you whatever you need. If I, and he's never even talking bad about David directly because that would be treason, death. He's just putting thoughts out there. That's exactly what the enemy does. The enemy can't make you do anything. I can't, I'm tired of charismatics and Pentecostals and spirit-filled people saying the devil did it. Stop giving him that much credit and take ownership, you idiot. <laughs> the devil don't have that much power. Stop praising Jesus and giving the devil power. He don't have any power. All he can do is say, hey, what do you think about this? And then we receive it or we rebuke it. 
When the people tried to bow, look at what Absalom does. When the people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. See, he's trying to one-up what the king does. Because when you get before a king, you bow before the king. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. So he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. He told them what they wanted to hear. Your king doesn't have time for you. There's no one to hear you on his behalf. I wish I was in charge. You know what? You don't have to bow. You're too good for that. Just take my hand. And I believe the church is at this place because we've embraced a counterfeit replacement for the Almighty. Because what happens is we've embraced comfort as the Absalom hand. What do you mean, Kyle? Well, the Bible is very specific. When the, when, when, the, when, when the scripture tells us to enter into the presence of the Lord, it says to enter in with loud symbols and loud praise and, and joyful noise. And now there's churches that preach, if you're not comfortable, you can just be quiet. That's the hand instead of the bow. You, you, you see, like, your opinion doesn't matter. This word gives you every key to access heaven on earth. So when he says, come to me with a loud praise, I am not going to settle for anything less. He is going to get my shout. He's going to get my testimony in every part of my life. And it's not just a loud praise in church when the band plays. I'm talking about a loud praise when you're at work. All they see is a Christian. All they see is light. A loud praise in your family. Your, your, your kids never have issues with you because all they see is the light of God on you. Your wife and your husband, all you see is light. A loud praise. A joyful praise. But we have settled for a counterfeit replacement for that. Like, like we've embraced, let's just hop church to church and not get invested in one house. And I'm bold enough to speak that because I love you all enough to tell you that. The Bible talks about community. You can't have community when you're, when, when, when you're hopping around to eight different places. Well, Kyle, they have things that are great. Awesome. Let's partner and do stuff together while we all commit to houses. I don't want division. I think the church needs to come together. And I'm sorry, but I think the unity is no longer going to be, let's just, just, oh, well, let's get these eight denominations together and we're just going to focus on the fact that we all agree that Jesus was. No, 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 no. Let's just start loving each other so that the false doctrines fall and denominations fall so that we can just get in line with what the Bible says. Let's not settle for let's just accept Jesus. Let's settle for Jesus and more. Let, 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 let's, let's, just, let's just get in here and let it rain. Like, let's just get in this thing. But what we do is we, we try to qualify everything. And God's just like, you know, if you would just unify and get in my presence, truth prevails. <laughs> I don't know where I'm at in my notes. We say things like, God knows my heart. I don't have to, I don't have to get down on my knees. I can worship my own way and... We have forfeited his worth as a king because we're settling for justice from other people. Like, we have people backing up theologians more than the greatest theologian of all, Jesus. I, I, mean, I mean, think about it. Like, we wonder how to cast out demons. 
So, so we turn on like, like the Catholic channel. And we'll get holy water and, and, and oil and we'll, 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 you know, we'll, 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 we'll get the shrouds and, and the crosses. And, and Jesus is like, just fast and pray. Are, are you, everything's in here we need. <laughs> but we're settling for counterfeit justice. And that's exactly what Absalom's doing. He's like, all right. Just, you know, you, you, you want to be comfortable? Yeah, you just... You get involved in church where they never see you, and you know you open your Bible, but you can't say what the preacher said because the preacher really ain't preaching truth. And and then you get together for worship, and you don't really know what you're saying. And you get in your your car, and you don't put on any Christian music because you really are not involved in the music. And and then you got worship leaders who get on stage, and and and, and I'm not talking about our worship leaders at all. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. But like we we, we get on stage, and and we're singing lyrics, and we forget the lyrics, and we complain because we can't see the lyrics. But if you were truly in worship, the lyrics would already be in your heart, flowing from thereof like like are, are you seeing what i'm saying like we, we've got to stop settling for a counterfeit form of king jesus i believe that's what's wrong with the church we've gone away from what god deems as worthy and we've created our own houses of worship based off of our likes and opinions but i say don't settle he's the chief justice whatever he says goes So Absalom steals their hearts. He was clever. He never said anything negative about David. He just put the thoughts out there. He was talking about, you know, if I were the judge, I would do this, I would do that. He had so much pride. And I was listening to a teaching on pride last week. You know, we always think that pride is just, well, I know more, which it is. But there's dimensions of pride that we don't open our eyes to. And we don't know what's pride. Because God says, I want this to happen. And then we qualify the reason why we're not doing it. That's not ignorance. That's pride that you know more than he does. I know I'm harping on the tithe thing. It's just such an easy example. Well, God, I can't afford to tithe. That's pride. He says, give me your first fruits and I'll make the rest work more than you had with the whole fruit. He says, give me the 10, I'll make the 90 go further. And you say, I can't afford to give you 10. That's pride. You've exalted your knowledge above his. <laughs> Isaiah 2.12, the Lord of angel armies has a day of, of humiliation in store for all the high and mighty. For all who are proud and self-exalting. They will be brought low. Stop trying to handle everything yourself and start bringing it before the king. Your finances, your time, your skills, everything. And say, King Jesus, what would you have me do? Not, hey, other justice, what you got for me. Like some of you need to stop coming to your pastor and going to King Jesus. It's funny how people do that. They'll go to 10 people until they get the person that says the right thing. Because they don't want truth. They want their form of justice. They settle. <laughs> you don't get to make those decisions. Absalom, he does. So in verse 7 it says, After four years of this, <laughs> Absalom said to the king, 
hey, uh, hey, Dad, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. For while your servant was at Jeshur and Aram, that's where he was exiled for three years, I promised to sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. Absalom ain't seeking God. He's manipulating the king. What he's doing is he's getting in the practice of his religion to influence the king. And that's exactly what we do. If we would do all the spiritual stuff, put on the spiritual clothes, the spiritual masks, people say, are you a Christian? Well, I go to church. So did Absalom. People say, are you a Christian? Well, I accept Jesus as my Savior. Well, Absalom did the same with David. Yeah, he's my king. You claiming Jesus as king does not mean jack to me. Did, did, the, did the pastor just say that? Yeah, because we're supposed to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, right? Since when did receiving become a prayer when it was supposed to be a way of life? When you receive something, you let them into your house. You, you, you bring a friendship in. You, you enter into relationship. And we turn receive Jesus into, Jesus, you're my Savior. I accept you as Lord. And now I'm going to get baptized so that the church can brag about my number of baptism. <laughs> yeah, y'all don't like that. For those of you that don't know me, I'm a little too bold sometimes, but I'm, I'm loud. So... <laughs> No, no, receiving Jesus is, Jesus, I receive you as my king. So whatever you tell me to let go of, it's, it's gone. You want me to leave that friend? Done. You want me to sever that relationship? Okay. I receive you. I'm following you. Whatever you would have, whatever you don't, just you tell me. Because I receive you. What does Jesus say? Many will call on my name. Many will cast out demons. Many will prophesy in my name. But I'll say to them, I didn't know you. <coughs> Just in case you doubted what I was saying, it's in Scripture. <laughs> Absalom is doing the church game. He's doing the spiritual practice, but he's using God to justify his own thoughts. Lord, if you bring me back to Jerusalem, I'll make a sacrifice. Lord, I have the solution. My dad is not bringing justice. I'm not asking you to tell me. I'm telling you. Lord, if I get back in Jerusalem, I'll replace my dad. That wasn't God's intent. What if he would have just said, Lord, what would you have to do with my dad who's not bringing justice? What if the Lord would have said, humble yourself and serve him? Not manipulate the people and cause a rebellion. But isn't that what we do? With God, we come to prayer and we go to church and we read the Bible and we need something we complain when we don't get it because you're not asking for answers. You're asking him to come on side with you because you did all the right things. That's what Absalom's doing. Lord, you know, if you would just do this for me, I'll sacrifice something to you. I'll do all the right stuff. Just let me become the king. Now, of course, King David don't know any of this right now. Absalom's doing all this in secret. But this is what we do. We prostitute grace. We pimp out God. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
God, if you would just bless me with this thing, I will, I, I will do so much for you. I will build the church. I'll do this. Just if you would. And God's like, you haven't done any of my if yous. If you love me, would you be willing to leave your family behind? If you love me, would you? If you love me, would you? If you love me, would you? We're doing that to God, and God's like, are you truly bowing to me as your king? You want to know why most of your prayers aren't getting answered? Because you're asking out of things, and you haven't, you're asking things without letting God replace a desire, because if he replaced a desire, you may find yourself asking new things. And then you get actual productive answers. But instead, we become bitter at God because we don't get the answers we want because you don't want answers. You want your own justice. I, I don't want to settle for my justice because he, he's, he's been around longer than me and he knows better than me. His thoughts are above mine. His ways are above mine. And if I recall the scripture, it says he has gone before me. Why do we keep trying to get God to move behind us? Hey, like, like God, um, I don't know if you knew, but I had this issue that happened to me yesterday, and I really need something. And God's like, I I'm here in your breakthrough, and you're still concerned about the mishap. Don't settle for that. Yesterday's gone. I'm not going to spend my life grieving over what could have been and what was and what I wanted. It's God, what's, what do you want? What would you have me? I, I am not going to settle for anything less. John 16, 24, until now, you've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name. But now you can ask and keep on asking him, and you can be sure that you'll receive what you ask for, and your joy will have no limits. This is one of the most mistaught scriptures and can make us have so much grievance to God because we all preach God will give you what you want if you ask for it in his name. Let me tell you what in his name is all about. In his name is God, wherever I go and whatever I do, your name's on it because when I walk into a room, I rep you. So when you ask God anything in his name, you were saying, God, what would you have me do to represent you in this situation in the best way? I am asking, what do I need in your name? If I'm going to go into this ministry in your name, what would you have me do? If I'm going to make this financial decision in your name, what would you have me do? And if you do everything in his name and not your own, you'll always get the answer you need because it's no longer about you. It's what glorifies him. And when we glorify the Father, he will take you in the streets of gold and bless you. But what we don't like is the wilderness season and the valleys. And we always talk about mountaintop experiences. But let me tell you something. Walking up a mountain ain't easy. That's like harder than walking down into a valley. You want the easy stuff? Go to a valley. You go down quick. <laughs> you want to get up to the mountain? You better be ready to put in the work. And every step you take and every move you make, he'll be watching you. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. But he said, in my name, whatever you ask in representing me, I will give you so that my name will be made great. Humble yourselves before the Lord. 
Whatever he wants to be glorified in is what you should want. Every decision, his name. But what we do is we're asking, God, what would make me great? What would make me better? What would make me successful? What would make me be known? What would make me look like I have authority? What would make me look like I have wisdom? What would make me right? What would make me? What would make me? And God's like, it's not about you. I bought you so that you could rep me. And the price was my own son. A seed produces after its own kind. Why did he sow a seed of a son? Because he wanted many. Y'all didn't get that. Why did he sow the seed of one son? Because he wanted all of you. And the only way he could get many seeds is to sow the only one he had. So he sacrificed all he had just to get you. And you're still saying, God, what can you do for me? <laughs> Don't settle. Put everything in his name. Whatever you have, God, whatever you want, whatever you, whatever, 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 whatever you would have, whatever is going to make your name great, that's what I want. So Absalom is doing the opposite. He's trying to manipulate the situation. And in verse 9, King David, all right, the king told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron. But here's where we see his lying. While he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. He took 200 men from Israel with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. They didn't know anything. <laughs> While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. Soon, many others also joined Absalom in a conspiracy gained momentum. People are joining in on this rebellion and they don't even know it. Because when someone called them to walk away from the courts of a king, they didn't know anything that was going on. But for some reason, they were so quick to follow their word. 200 people in the courts of a king in Jerusalem left the king's presence to follow a man, and they didn't know what the heck was going on. But isn't that where we are? The Bible says this is how we enter into his presence, entering into his courts with praise, the Bible tells us how to come together and move heaven. But we find ourselves following all these other voices without even realizing we left. Because we're not standing up for what the king has put before us. We're not standing up for humility. We're not standing up for humbling ourselves. We're not standing up for restoring each other. We're not standing up for love. We're not standing up for anything. Whenever there's something better, we run to it, not understanding that you may have just walked out of the courts of King Jesus. Let me tell you something. This may not preach well in church, but I ain't trying to build a big church. I'm trying to build a sincere church. But this is the truth. Sometimes your call is not going to be pretty, and it's not going to be easy, and it will not look great. 
But for some reason, the church says God has called you to bigger and better. But what if his definition of bigger and better is the influence you have instead of the fruit you possess? What if bigger and better looks like poverty? Oh, God would never call me to that. Really? It's called being a missionary. <laughs> Ask Melissa and Richard. Like, not every call of God is great, grand, and beautiful. But we put all these qualifiers, and we're going after the great and the grand and the beautiful when God says, I define those differently because my ways are not your ways. You are still in the mold of the world. Like, think about church. Successful church is thousands of people, right? But what if, what if that's wrong? Like, I mean, think about Jesus. Like, thousands of people came, and he said one bit of truth, and they all left. And then he was like, finally, I get to talk some truth to you guys. How did he change the world? He did not build a church with thousands. He built 12 men, and he said, now go. Why didn't he do it with thousands? Because even Jesus knew one man in his flesh could not disciple a thousand people. He had to get 12 to disciple a thousand. 12 men with 100, that's like 1,200 versus one man with 1,200. It happened with Moses. Moses couldn't handle a thousand, so his stepdad came in and says, well, make captains of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. It's Old Testament and New. The world says success is, oh, you've got to have a fifteen to 20,000 member church and it's got to be a mega church and you've got to have all this money so you can pay off medical debt. Well, the, the medical debt I want to pay off is that you be healed so you never have to go back to the hospital. <laughs> see, see, we're, we're doing this because in our minds we're thinking, well, that was so good that those churches did that. Yeah, yeah, but why is that the measuring tool? Why is that the comparison? I, I, I think the only thing we should be measuring anything by is this. The, I, I, when Jesus left, the disciples were walking around looking at people and saying, hey, like, you're lame, why don't you stand up? But for some reason, we become so ineffective that we pray for hours and we don't see anything happen. We wonder why because we've been settling for so much in other places. We haven't been following. I have embraced this idea of small because if you know where I lack and I know where you lack, we can build each other up and strengthen each other to such a unity that when something comes into the body, it cannot remain. Whether that be someone that's rebellious and prideful or a sickness trying to take out a family member. Because my Bible says disease has to surrender to his name. Why isn't it surrendering? Because no one's coming together in his name anymore. It's to build the ministry, right? It's to build the organization called the church and God, Jesus is like, no, no, no. I don't want you to, to, to build the church. I want to do that. 
<laughs> I, I want you to just go like disciple people. I want you to come alive in your gifting so that you no longer need the gift. You can just pour it out. You, you, you know what the goal, like when Justin has those first, third, and fifth prophetic nights, it's not just to come to hear a bunch of good teaching or prophecy. It's to get you to the point where you no longer need to hear the teaching. You know what the point of this is? It's not for you to just come and hear me. It's to get to a place where people come to hear you. I'm getting off. That's all right. Okay. I'm not off. This is right on. <laughs> hmm. Absalom knew he needed people. He gained so much notoriety as his wealthy, handsome, young ruler. And all these believers are staying quiet. No one's saying anything. They're settling. You know what Galatians 6 says in verses 1 and 2? It says, my beloved friends, if you see a believer who's overtaken with a fault, may the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. You don't restore through gossip. And it's not holy to get five Christians together and talk about how you wish they were better. Go and do it. Like, shut up and go and do it. <laughs> Win him over with gentle words. Let's not forget that part. Just because you're passionate, you don't get to go and say, man, you need to repent. No, like, you idiot. It's not your job to make him repent. <laughs> Win him over with gentle words which opens his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself. You want to know why people are not repenting? It's because we are putting more exaltation on ourselves in knowing what's right versus trying to open their hearts to the one who will speak justice. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. We're called to carry each other's troubles, not to cast each other out. Demons are what we cast out, not each other. And I don't know about you, but I know some Christians who I just don't like. like I don't, I don't want to hang out with them. I don't want to see them. I don't want to have lunch with them. I don't want to smell them. I don't, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with them. But I have to also understand that where maybe the reason I don't want to be around them is a good reason, there is a soul there that Jesus loves there is a spirit there that jesus loves and my bible tells me that when i'm saved i no longer look at you in a human point of view hmm. absalom is getting more trust with these people because no one was stepping up for restoration no one said anything about all these people leaving the kingdom. No one said anything about 200 men going. The 200 men didn't even say, hey, what's going on? They just went with the flow. They didn't do anything. They were, they were settling. Hmm. And then in the midst of all this, David actually wrote about it in Psalm 41. I still got some, some time. Is that okay? Can we just agree that Relentless is no longer going to have a two-hour time frame? Can we just, like, go there? Just, just say go there. go there. All right, three hours. <laughs> Verse 4, 
Oh, Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me. Heal me. I've sinned against you. That's where, that's where we need to be, right? But here's where the issue comes. But my enemies say nothing but evil about me. Isn't it funny how the, the very people who repent we talk the worst about because of the thing they're repenting from? What's the issue of the people? David slept with Bathsheba. Lord, I've repented, and they won't stop talking about me. That's the church. They've repented, and the holy rollers won't stop talking bad about what they repented from. When the holy rollers, my Bible says, one day will be brought down in humiliation because of their pride. Praise God. That's what's, there was a word released last night at Carolina Revival that we all need to hear. It's that word kindness. Kindness not just meaning love and, and excusing. Kindness also brings in justice and mercy. But here's what the word was that I want to tell you. He said, you know why people are backsliding in church? The Bible says kindness leads unto Repentance. Backsliders have been led into repentance not with kindness but with fear and bitterness. If you don't repent, you're going to hell because of what you're doing. If they're led to repentance because of that fear, they haven't been led to repentance by the thing that God wanted to lead them, so they have reason to backslide. You think about every person in your life who, who proclaimed Jesus one day and then backslid, most likely because they were so scared not to say yes to Jesus. But what is repentance? It's to go the other way, right? But in order to go the other way, you have to change the way you think about the way you're going. And the only way you change the way you think about the path you're going is that the kindness of God is revealed in such a way where you say, oh my gosh, I want that. And he says, well, it's over there. So you change the way you think and repent and go the other way because your heart and your, your mind thinketh as your heart, right? So the kindness of God changes my heart so I think differently. So now I'm walking a different way. That's repentance. But what do Christians do? The biggest things in the world right now, homosexuality and abortions. We guilt people into Jesus. That's not what's going to lead them to repentance. You know what I think we should do? I think we should start going to our gay brothers and sisters and literally embracing them and saying, we're not scared of you because you're gay. And I don't care if people think I look gay hugging a gay man. I'm just being real. Like, not just praying at the abortion clinics that mothers don't have abortions, but when they come out, the ones that did, embrace them because they are in such deep sorrow that you cannot possibly understand, even in making the bad choice. Is it, where's, where's that degree of believer? It's nowhere to be found. And we wonder why Savannah is the darkest place and no one's coming to church. Whew. 
He says, my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die? How soon will he be forgotten? They visit me as if they were my friends. But all the while they gather gossip, and when they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. He has some fatal disease. He'll never get out of that bed. Even my best friend, the one I've trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. He's talking about the man that Absalom just called from his chief counselors to counsel him and how to rebel against his father. Hmm. Let's read verse 12 again in 2 Samuel. It says, While Absalom was offering the sacrifices he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo, and soon many others joined Absalom in the conspiracy game momentum while he was offering sacrifices to the Lord because there's practice and then there's relationship. He got the practice. In the eyes of the believers, Absalom was a great man. He did the spiritual practice. He was beautiful. He gave him justice. And now he's leading a rebellion in justice. You know, Ephesians 2.10 says, it says we're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. If it's not good, then it's out of line with his character, which is how you can tell if it's practice or relationship. People who only practice have a fruit of not good. When it's relationship, it says you are called to do good things he planned. If you find yourself in step in life where you're not doing great things, I have to wonder, are you really in relationship or are you just practicing? Like, take an inventory of what the fruit is in your life. But the kindness in this message is I'm giving you keys so that you can get closer to the Father. See, I could pump you up and say, you know, like, there's destiny for you, and, and God's got purpose, and God wants this. Yes, that's the, that's the truth. But I, I, I'm more interested in the how. And the how is taking this stuff for what it is and realizing I'm not, I'm not going to settle for anything less. If my life is not producing good works, then that means I'm doing some stuff out of practice. It's, it's here. Continuing in verse 13. Well, a messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in conspiracy against you. This is where it kind of tugs at your heart. Because remember, David was a 15-year-old shepherd boy, and he's done nothing but follow God except for this one incident with Bathsheba. He's brought Israel into unity. Greatest kingdom ever. In verse 14, then we must flee at once or it will be too late. David urges men, hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. We're with you. His advisors replied, do what you think is best. So the king and all his household set out at once. He left no one behind except 10 of his concubines to look after the palace. The king and all his people set out on foot, pausing at the last house to let all the king's men move past to lead the way. There were 600 men from Gath who had come with David along with the king's bodyguard. Look at this. 
David is leading the, leaving the place that God has called him to, Jerusalem. That's where he called him to set up his kingdom, his palace, Jerusalem. He's having to leave. David knew that Absalom was ruthless and Absalom wanted the throne. Unfortunately, we find out a bad truth in here. Even though David has seen all this bad stuff, he's still got ten concubines, ten women that he can have his way with when he wants. Thank God he left them behind. About time, David. <laughs> but what stands out to me is that God calls David to Jerusalem, a unified Jerusalem, but right now it's not unified. Rebellion's breaking out, people are leaving, and David has got to go back to the place that he was prepared originally to lead Jerusalem. And you know what that place is? The wilderness. The king with all the authority and all the achievements, in order to get to the right place of getting back in Jerusalem, he had to leave it and go to the wilderness. Sometimes you've got to embrace wilderness seasons instead of settling for what's out of God's will and out of God's alignment and assignment. What that means is sometimes you've got to confront some things that may make all your peace go away for a little while. Sometimes you got to confront some things that's going to make all your friends run away and you're going to be in this wilderness of being alone and God's saying, it's okay, I'm preparing you here to bring you back to reign in that place again when it's settled and all of the mixture has gone. There's so much mixture in America. We've settled for so much. You want revival in this nation? You want revival in this nation? Yeah. Well, maybe we got to start addressing some things that's going to make us look like people in the wilderness. Not accepted. The hidden. The people who look a little cultish to America because they're so different. People who, who, who talk different and they no, longer, they no longer make excuse for foul language because it's just something you say. Like, our language is changing without us even trying. Because we're so, we're so much in the fire of God that stuff's burning off of us. Like, what if we got to start addressing some things that's going to put us into a wilderness so that when we're ready to lead America, we get put back in? It doesn't mean running from your place because Jesus has restored your authority. It means we've got to seek God and stop compromising and stop settling. Is this speaking to anybody tonight? David wrote about this. Look at Psalm 3. It says, O oh Lord, I have so many enemies, so many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. It says interlude. That means there was a pause. You ever been there? God, there's so much against me. Everyone's saying I won't get out of it. And then after the pause in verse 3, but you are a shield around me, O Lord. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. 
I cried out to the Lord. He answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety. For the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. You know what this is? He's going back to the chief court. Because there's accusations coming out of him from the courts of the kingdom of Israel. You slept with Bathsheba. You're not good enough. Absalom's better. Absalom's younger. Absalom's stronger. And David's like, oh my gosh, these people are against me. I'm about to lose my kingdom. It's all going down. Let me talk to the king. Oh, wait, that's right. Your shield is around me and I'm held up high. What that means in your life, there may be times when you walk in step with God that you lose friendships, you lose relationships, people think you're crazy, people say that you're going in the wrong path, people say that you're looking too like this and you're too Christian and you're too much of a goody-goody and you know you ain't really like that, you know you fake, you know this. You can either accept that or you can turn and say, oh, wait a minute, I've got a shield around me. I don't have to listen to what you're saying. My God is holding my head up high and I'm walking in step with what he has called me to walk into I'm not going to settle for the rants of them I'm going to settle into my destiny and my identity and then the king we're getting toward the end the king turned and said to Ittai a leader of the men from Gath this is King David why are you coming with us go on back to King Absalom for you're a guest in Israel, a foreigner in exile. You arrived only recently, and should I force you today to wander with us? You know what David was worried about? They're going to want to kill him because he's going with David. He's like, he's like dude, what, what are you doing? Go, go with the crowd. Go with what's in. Don't, don't come after me. I don't even know where we'll go. <laughs> King David, go on back. Take your kinsmen with you. May the Lord show you unveiling love and faithfulness. But then Titus said to the king, I vow by the Lord and by your own life that I will go wherever the Lord king goes. No matter what happens, whether it means life or death. David replied, all right. <laughs> well, come with us. So Ittai and all his men and their families went along. David didn't want to cause trouble in this guy's way. He said, go with Absalom. But this guy said, I'm not going with the crowd. I'm going where God leads me. I'm going where the king is, and I'll risk everything for my pursuit of what's true and holy. Don't settle for what makes you feel good. Don't settle for what's easy. Matthew 7, 14 says, The gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. You don't want to know why a few only find it? Because we carry too much stuff that God won't allow in. Are you willing to lose everything to go where you don't know where you're going? Don't you love how God does it? Hey, follow me, and I'm not going to tell you where you're going, and you won't know until you get there. And by the way, like, can you just sacrifice everything so you don't have anything to lean on? That's why few find it. Because it is a true sacrifice to follow Jesus. Let's not sugarcoat this. I think sugarcoating has caused many people to believe they're saved when really they're not. They're walking in deception thinking that they're Salvation prayer got them saved. No, it's the sacrifice of your life. Whew. 
In verse 23, everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kidred Valley and they went out toward the wilderness. Hmm. You want to know why God sent David to the wilderness? Because David's fall was not the end of his call. He said, let me take you out here and I'm going to restore you. I brought you out here the first time and got you ready and you led great. And I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so like, God, just take me into the wilderness if I need to go there. Can I be like real transparent with you about where I'm at as your pastor? I'm going to have to start drawing some lines so that we have sincerity of people. In love, in kindness. But I cannot let what I think I need direct where we're going. Because I may think I need this, but if I go where God's taken me, everything I need will be there. That goes for you too. I need this. I need that. I want this. I want that. Do you want true justice? Because if you do, you'll embrace the wilderness to get you ready for a place that you were called to reign in. But you can't reign there if you keep settling. Well, Zadok and all the Levites, verse 24, came along and they carried the Ark of the Covenant of God. That's a good thing. Bringing the presence of God to the wilderness. They set down the Ark of the God, the Ark of God. And Abiathar offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out the city. And then the king instructed Zadok to take the ark of God back into the city. If the Lord sees fit, David says, he will bring me back to see the ark in the tabernacle again. But if he's through with me, then let him do what he seems best to him. You know what David said? God wanted me to bring that ark in Jerusalem. And that's exactly where it's staying. Because I'm not trusting in a man-made ark. I'm trusting in my father. Me leaving had nothing to do with that thing leaving. The ark goes in Jerusalem, leave it. We're out in the wilderness. He brought us back one time. He'll do it again. And if he doesn't, because I'm so far gone, I'd rather him get glory than me be glorified in my wrongdoing. <sighs> James 4, 5 through 10 says this. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God's passionate, that the spirit is placed within us, should be faithful to him. He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Like, think about that. God, you just told the devil's on me. Resist him. He will flee. It's, it's that simple. Do I need to exorcise my, can you come anoint my house with oil? Resist him. He'll flee. It's really not that complicated. You don't need to go through a seance to get demons at your house. Resist. They'll go. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, I do. <laughs> come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears of what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves and he will lift you up. 
make aware that you've got some things you need to change. Stop settling for letting it be mixed in. And when you get to the place where you humble yourself and you say, you know what, I can't let this in my life anymore. I've got to stop uh, uh, allowing this mixture. When you get to that place, it may cause grief and sadness and tears. But he says, if you will humble yourself to that, humble yourself to the wilderness, humble yourself to what you deem unsaved, I will lift you up. Well, in verse 27 the Second Samuel 15, the king told Zadok the priest, look, here's my plan. You and Abiathar should return quietly to the city with your son, Ahimez, and Abiathar's son, Jonathan. I'll stop at the shallows of the Jordan River and wait there for a report from you. So Zadok and Abiathar took the ark of God back to the city and stayed there. Let me just say this. You're not meant to do this alone. David went into the wilderness, right? But he sent two men back to report to him. You may be in a season of isolation sometimes spiritually, but you're never meant to be in isolation alone. You get alone with God and let your brothers and sisters be there for you. That's what David was doing. Verse 30, David walked up to the road to the Mount of Olives weeping as he went. His head was covered. His feet were bare as a sign of mourning. The people who were with him covered their heads, and they wept and climbed the hill. This is the exact same path that Jesus took when he was walking to the Garden of Gethsemane to, to, to pray after the Last Supper. They were both walking to the same place for sin. What's the difference? David was suffering for his sins, and Jesus suffered for ours. Don't settle. We're, why are we living a life in guilt with a king who took your guilt on the cross? Throw away the guilt. Jesus, here I am. Take me where you want. You want wilderness? I'll take wilderness. You want the call? I'll take the call. Whatever you want, however you get glory, whatever it is, whatever I get, whatever I don't get, whatever it is, I'm not settling for anything else. What are you getting? Do you get the praise? Do you get the glory? Do you get the honor? And do people see you because of what I go through? And the last few verses of 15, verse 31. When someone told David that his advisor, Ahithophel, was now backing Absalom, David prayed, O oh Lord, let Ahithophel give Absalom stupid advice. I'm going to start praying that for some of y'all. <laughs> when David reached the summit of the Mount of Olives where people worshiped God, Hushai the Archite was waiting there for him. And Hoshai had torn his clothing and put dirt on his head as a sign of mourning. But David told him, if you go with me, you'll only be a burden. Return to Jerusalem and tell Absalom, I'll now be your advisor, O king, just as I was your father's advisor in the past. And then you can frustrate and counter Ahithophel's advice. Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, will be there. Tell them about the plans being made in the king's palace, and they will send their sons, Ahimez and Jonathan, and tell me what's going on. So David's friend, Hushai, Returned to Jerusalem, getting there just as Absalom arrived. I love that in a time when David needed to flee from all this, he stopped at one place. And then after he stopped there, he got the plans, he got the strategy, he sent the guys into the kingdom, he got all the ways he was going to figure this out. 
and you know how he figured it all out? You know how he got the strategy? He didn't think. He didn't go in his back pocket and think, how can I do this? What? Let, let, let me go back to some of my ways I've used before. He went to one place. He had to run because Absalom had come back into Jerusalem, and he stopped at the mountain to worship. The Mount of Olives. It was where they went to worship God. He said, before I leave this place, I'm going to worship my God. And out of that worship flowed everything he needed to do what he needed to do. It should be the first thing we do, the last thing we do, and everything we center our lives around. Just worship. You need strategy for your life? Just worship. God knows how to get you out of your stuff. God knows how to purify what you're going through. God knows what's best for you. And he says, I love you so much that I've given you access to approach me even though you're not worthy. And how many of us say amen, but we never approach the one who we never could approach before? I'm so thankful that God saved me. Are you? Because if you're truly thankful, you'll approach him in his courts every flipping day. You know, what's interesting is that this kingdom of David's being shaken right now. It's in chaos. There's rebellion. People are leaving him. Priests are leaving him. Priests are staying with him. He's sending people in. People are getting out. This kingdom is not very stable right now. David came as a bold guy who could conquer. Absalom comes as this rebellious and proud dude. But when Jesus came into Jerusalem, you know what he was? A humble servant. And he wouldn't settle for anything less. No, Jesus, you're too worthy. Let us wash your feet. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wash yours. And you know what the fruit of that kingdom is? I'm going to close with this scripture. Look at Hebrews 12, 26. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. His voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken. All of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. And since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. You know what don't settle is all about? God says, kingdoms have been shaken. And what I'm bringing is a kingdom that cannot be. And the only way my kingdom cannot be shaken is that when I shake the only ones that remain are those that were not shooken. They didn't settle. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life where God looks at me and says, Kyle, you were unshakable. How many of you received that? Can you just say, Lord, I will not be one who stays shaken. I will be unshakable. I will not settle. Everything I do from this point on is for your glory. Amen?
Let's give God some praise.